Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. We are very glad you're with us for the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. Uh, grab the stool. It's ready for you. And uh, Jim, the first one is good that Chuck Schumer got caught. It has nothing to do with what Chuck Schumer actually said, because I believe Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader from New York, was at a fair, and he was asked by a reporter about uh, how the very uh, difficult, poorly executed withdrawal, and he says, oh, that's so far away, I have no idea, I couldn't possibly tell you. But here's the good news. There'll be a job for congressional oversight. There always is. But at the moment, actually, I'm still focused on trying to get some of those brave Afghans out. The Americans, all of whom wanted to come out, have come out, praise God. But there are a lot of Afghans who risked their lives for our soldiers and others. Many got out, some didn't. And I'm still working on trying to get some of them out. So he's very clear there. He's still trying to get Afghans out. uh, But he says all Americans who wanted to get out are out which we suspected, Jim, might be the talking point pretty shortly after the withdrawal deadline. The good news here is that he's not getting away with it very quickly on social media, certainly every conservative media outlet, but even some of the the mainstream ones uh, basically said, no, this simply isn't true. His office had to respond to it. And here is the, uh, let's say, shaky response from his office. Quote, he misspoke and regrets the confusion his comments have caused. He intended to say, as he has been saying, that the U.S. will get everyone out that wants to get out and he will keep working with the Biden administration to help everyone who wants to get out. And so, Jim, that's pretty weird when you look at that very direct phrasing in the soundbite versus uh, what they're trying to say in the statement. He got caught. They had to correct it. And so the good news here is this talking point, which we kind of saw building even while the withdrawals were still going on, isn't flying at least yet greg yesterday when i saw this i I, you know my first reaction just quickly jotted off on twitter was oh great are any big media fact checkers gonna bother with the senate majority leader just outright lying or nah and much to my pleasant surprise uh daniel dale of cnn had uh, already put up a first of all he said he falsely claimed uh, this and then also uh, Glenn Kessler went out and he said he you know now of course both of them bought into the oh he misspoke explanation sure I am reminded of the classic but I warn you listeners very bawdy old BBC television series coupling where a character said well I only made a small mistake I said yes when I meant no um, <laughs> which is technically I was only off by one word he insists and yeah technically you know I don't really think this was misspeaking I think this was Chuck Schumer test driving a new spin and he was basically seeing if he can get away with this this was what the biden administration really wants to say we got all the americans out anybody who's still there just loves the taliban's hospitality so much and just can't get enough of being whipped on the way to the airport loves getting held at gunpoint with guns to their head and all these other horror stories we've heard um you know it's absolute nonsense chuck schumer should be ashamed of even trying to do this it's good that he got called out it's good that he you know oh i totally misspoke i had no idea um i do think there are enough corners of the media who no matter how much they may reflexively want to give the benefit of the doubt to a democrat and to a democratic administration can recognize the american government leaving americans in afghanistan as the taliban takes over is really really bad and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the uh 
second martini. But uh, yeah, you know, look, it's like maybe it was just an innocent slip of the tongue. It certainly looks to me much more like uh, Chuck Schumer wanted to see if he could get away with this and very quickly figured out that no, he could not. No, and that is excellent news. I mean, we had the, uh, the the clip of the woman in the Voice of America interview yesterday. There are still Americans stuck on planes for days in Mazari Sharif. And I mean, think about it. Here in our first world problems, we can get upset sometimes if our plane has to wait 30 minutes before taking off or the gate's not ready when it lands and we have to wait a little while. Obviously, you're willing to put up with quite a bit to get away from the Taliban, but sitting on these planes for days and sanitation issues and everything else, plus the uncertainty, that has to be miserable. Oh, you know, I, I guess the only thing that would make that bearable is your sense that I'm on the plane, right? And all we got to do is get this thing gassed up. We got to get our clearance and I'm out of here and I don't have to go back on the ground and I'm not going to have some Taliban guy holding a gun to my head or, or something like that. I mean, if you've been through absolutely hellacious, terrifying experiences, getting to the airport, maybe that makes sitting on a plane for an unbearable amount of time bearable, uh, uh, you know, something you can uh, get through. But, um, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's just absolutely horrible. And I just cannot believe instead of tackling the problem head on, we keep getting efforts to just spin us and tell us, oh, it's not really that bad. Yeah, and we'll dig into that more, maybe why those planes aren't going anywhere in our second martini. But uh, let's talk about uh, the fact that Jim uh, is, he could be fine sitting for days where he is right now because he's got the X chair. It is the best possible office chair, and Jim cannot stop raving about it. You know, Greg, as we have these kinds of really annoying, you know, egregious, embarrassing spin and absolutely abominable government decision-making, Listeners, I'm just going to recline slightly. Hang on a second. Let me find the button on the back. Uh, there we go. And a little bit more. Let me strengthen that massage. There we go. Oh, you know, I, I don't feel so bad anymore, Greg. It's amazing <laughs> how quickly that kicked in. Now, look, as I, as I keep saying, if you work at a desk, you spend a lot of time in your chair. Uh, you probably want to get up and be active and all that stuff. But you know that if you're not using the right chair, it's going to hurt your back. It's going to hurt your shoulders. It's going to hurt your neck. Um, and just having the right chair can make a huge difference in it. So this is something you don't want to skimp on yourself. This is something where you owe it to yourself and you owe it to your back to take care of yourself. And the X chair is a fantastic way to do that. Uh, I have enjoyed it every day that I've had it. And it looks like I'm going to be enjoying it for a very long time to come. And listeners, you can sense the jealousy in Greg's voice as he, as he <laughs> continues this advertisement. Yeah, it's there. There's no doubt about it. I feel good in my chair, but I, it doesn't regulate my temperature and it doesn't massage me, for heaven's sake. That is unbelievably great. So go to xchairmartini.com now. That's the letter X, chair, M-A-R-T-I-N-I.com for $100 off your order. X chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort. Again, xchairmartini.com. All right, Jim, we're talking about Afghanistan, so uh, it's probably a little surprise that we have a double-fisted bad martini. Let's start with uh, why some people are having a very difficult time getting out of Afghanistan. Part of it's because, you know, we left before the people who wanted to get out and had, you know, reason to get out, uh, American citizens, green card holders, and Afghan allies, special immigrant visas, and so forth. Uh, couldn't get to the airport, got beaten back, got sent home. Troops couldn't come out to get us from the checkpoints, on and on and on. But now you've still got these private efforts with charter flights 
trying to get the the people that help them. A lot of these guys are veterans, uh, trying to get them out of the country. But the State Department is constantly in their way. This is from Peter Hassan over at Fox News. The State Department refused to grant official approval for private evacuation flights from Afghanistan to land in third countries, even though the department conceded that official authorization would likely be needed for planes to land in those locations. This is from an email reviewed by Fox News. Furthermore, the State Department explicitly stated that charter flights, even those containing American citizens, would not be allowed to land at Defense Department air bases. U.S. officials have pointed to possible security threats from landing charter planes at military bases, saying they lack the resources on the ground to fully verify flight manifests. Well, there's more. Eric Montalvo, who organized a series of private flights evacuating those stranded in Afghanistan, shared that email and others with Fox News after his evacuation efforts were repeatedly hampered by the federal bureaucracy. A September 1st email that a State Department official sent to Montalvo underscores the extent to which private evacuation efforts have run into bureaucratic roadblocks. Quote, no independent charters are allowed to land at the military airbase you mentioned in your communication with Samantha Power. In fact, no charters are allowed to land at a DOD base, and most, if not all, countries in the Middle Eastern region, with the exception of perhaps Saudi Arabia, will allow charters to land. You will need to find another destination country, and it can't be the United States either. We'll get to the second half of this uh, in just a moment of our double-fisted bad martini, Jim. But, uh, boy, the State Department, uh, we were just told several days ago, doing everything it can, even after they left, to get people out. Sounds like they're doing everything they can to not get people out. You know, Greg, I went back. This is the sort of scenario where every time there's some sort of, you know, serious crisis and in the case for this administration, a real embarrassment. The standard rhetoric is we will not rest until we've solved this problem. And I went back and I found, yes, you know, back on August 22nd, Jake Sullivan, the national security advisor, said, What we are doing every single minute of every single hour of every single day is working to create safe passage for all civilians, including the Afghans who work for us to the airport to get them on planes and get them out. And we are not going to rest until we have followed through on getting visas to all of those people and getting them on planes and getting them out of the country. Well, that was absolute garbage. They did not. they, They did rest. President Biden was up at Wilmington last weekend. A whole bunch of people did not get them. You know, and of course, Biden had his famous statement of, you know, if there's American citizens left, we're going to stay to get them all out. They didn't stay. They left actually left a little early. This is utterly ridiculous. We a lot of us don't see these sorts of things behind the scenes. And I'm glad that Fox News was able to kind of put the you know, put some meat on the bones of what actual obstacles they were hearing. As I was describing, I mean, imagine if you've gone through those experiences of the Taliban beating people, the suicide bomber outside Kabul International Airport, the descriptions of, you know, Taliban holding people's guns to their heads and, you know, sending threatening messages and all that stuff. I am sure the attitude is just get me the hell out of here. I don't care where this plane is flying. Unfortunately, the plane needs a, you know, needs a manifest, needs a destination, needs all that kind of stuff. And the State Department, which keeps saying, oh, we're working so hard, we're working so hard. No, you're not. Clearly, you're not. If you were, you'd be saying, what do we need to do to make sure these things get cleared? Not just at this, you know, at Doha, to any one of these bases, you know, that we can get them. What, you know, maybe there are certain planes that can't fly far enough to reach to a certain ones. Let's get every conceivable airport in every conceivable friendly country in the region welcoming to get these people out of here because we want to streamline this process of getting them out as fast as possible, not in this ridiculous situation in which we're like, well, you don't have the right paperwork, so you're just going to have to stay in that country with the Taliban for a while until we straighten all this out. 
I know they want to pretend that everything's over there, but um, you know, I think it would they would look a lot better if they were proved to be cooperating with private efforts to get uh, the remaining people out who do want to get out. And I'm telling you, uh, I know these uh, these veterans are fit to be tied, a lot of them, with uh, what the government's not doing. And right now, they're probably keeping their powder dry because they are still looking for whatever help they can get. But once they come home, I think we're going to be hearing some stories that are going to make us just absolutely infuriated. And you're, you're already hearing about veterans groups not feeling as warm and fuzzy towards the Biden administration as they uh, had at least say back in January, uh, they really expected a, you know, with, uh, you may, you may have heard Greg, that president Biden's son served in the military. He may have mentioned it once or twice. He has. Uh, yes. And they thought that, you know, okay, well, this is going to be a good, you know, mutual common ground. And we expect to have a, a great warm relationship and veterans for obvious reasons are really, really, really upset with the, the administration and, you know, we'll, we'll see if that's this, you know, this is repairable. Uh, I am find myself rather skeptical, but I suppose stranger things have happened. Well, that is a terrible decision from the state department. After we officially withdrew, there were of course a litany of terrible decisions from this administration leading up to the crisis and, and throughout the uh, couple of weeks of uh, harried evacuations. And of course there were horrible decisions well before this, and one of those was the Bergdahl swap. Remember Bo Bergdahl, the guy who effectively deserted from his unit, and then the Taliban gave him back to us, and Barack Obama swapped him for five Guantanamo detainees, and we were assured, Jim, that they were just going to go to Qatar, uh, the Qataris were going to keep an eye on them, these guys aren't going to cause any more trouble. Well, guess what? Uh, at least four out of the five Guantanamo detainees have senior positions in the Taliban's resurrected what they call Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. Uh, let's see here. We've got one who is the acting minister for information and culture. Another is the acting minister of borders and tribal affairs. Another is the acting director of intelligence. And another is the deputy defense minister. And the fifth is uh, reportedly the governor of Coast. So all of these guys are back in prominent positions. I mean, one in defense and intelligence, so they're pretty much at the pinnacle of this uh, ridiculous government that uh, is about to be installed here in Afghanistan. So uh, as you look back at what we criticized heavily for days at the time, uh, the results of that decision by Obama having major repercussions now. You know, Greg, the Bo Bergdahl story came out roughly when the one time the, the weed agency had come out and uh, I had uh, appeared on the Bill Maher program real time with Bill Maher. It's the only time I was on. I can't say I particularly enjoyed it. Um, when you are there as the token conservative on Bill Maher's program, at least back in those days, your job was to be the butt of the jokes. And uh, my brother had made a very sharp observation when he uh, watched my appearance, he says that if you're a conservative and you try to be funny, Bill Maher will take you seriously. If you're a conservative <laughs> and you try to make a serious point, Bill Maher will try to will crack a joke to undo or undermine the point you just made. It is kind of like that John Stewart clown nose on, clown nose off. Uh, hey, I'm just a comedian, you know, uh, routine there. But anyway, the, the Bill Maher's entire opening monologue was about the Bo Bergdahl trait and about how Republicans were reacting, uh, I'm going to use his language, you know, over wildly overreacting and panicking. And were these guys, you know, what, the, what's the, what are these guys going to do? I think his joke was they're not the X-Men or something like that. What are these guys? Well, what are these guys going to do? They're going to end up in a Taliban government on the 20 year anniversary of 9-11. That's what they're going to do, Bill Maher. 
And the other thing is, remember also at that time, we kept hearing Bill Bergdahl was one of our guys. And, oh, no, he was, you know, uh, he served with honor, uh, I believe was one of the terms that either Obama or one of the administration people had said. He was a deserter. And it was a terrible idea that, that one of those things like we have less of a, of a need to bring home a deserter than we do to bring home a uh, someone who was captured by the enemy in the course of their duties. And so it, it was a terrible deal. And I don't know if it was because they wanted a White House, you know, Rose Garden ceremony or the administration had been taking a beating on on Middle Eastern issues with things like ISIS and stuff. And that's it. Whatever the reasoning was, it was a terrible decision. And it would be really nice if everybody at the time who insisted it was a fine decision and that Obama was swell and that all the Republicans who objected to it were being crazy and unreasonable. It'd be really nice if we could get an apology and they could recognize that. Probably more importantly, if they could learn from that. And maybe actually, ironically, considering the tune Bill Maher is singing these days, maybe he does feel a little differently about some of the positions he used to have. But uh, uh, we'll see how uh, if, if anybody learns anything from this. But I'm not I'm not I'm not going to uh, get my hopes up too high, Greg. Yeah, I do remember that episode uh, where you were on with Bill Maher. And I will say a couple of things. First of all, if you haven't read The Weed Agency, it's fantastic. Get the book. Secondly, I remember when Bill Maher introduced you and mentioned the book. He liked the title because he thought it was, you know, about weed, the, the kind you smoke. And finally, I believe you were on with Anthony Weiner. So I really hope he didn't ask to borrow your phone. No, he did not. And just I, there's uh, somewhere I have a picture of it. It wasn't just... Anthony Weiner, which was weird enough. And he said something kind of snide to me right before we went on there. And I was just one of those things like, you're freaking Anthony Weiner. You don't get to make fun of anybody. Um, John Waters was one of the featured guests. Ralph Reed was on it with me. And I think Nicole Wallace. So there's some picture of all of us. And you want to just like six or seven random people all thrown together. That was what was on that set. By the way, John Waters, his films are not necessarily my taste, but he's an absolute gentleman, swell guy. And he talked about how much he enjoyed talking with uh, Andrew Breitbart. So, hey, good for you, John Waters. Was Nicole Wallace pretending to be a Republican at that point still? Eh, she was starting to drift. Yeah, okay. okay. Yeah. Certainly, certainly Ralph Reed and I did not feel like she was jumping to our aid on various <laughs> arguments. All right, Jim, well, let's talk about uh, something way better than Bill Maher, and that is ExpressVPN. And just like you don't want to hand your phone to Anthony Weiner, you want to protect your online activity uh, because you never know who's out there lurking who could hack you and cause you a whole bunch of trouble. Why does everyone need a VPN? When you go online without a VPN, internet service providers can see every single website you visit, and they can legally sell this information without your consent to ad companies and tech giants who then use your data to target you. So why use ExpressVPN? You can browse more anonymously when you, because when you use ExpressVPN, ISPs cannot see your online activity. Your identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server, and your data is also encrypted for maximum protection. It's easy to use. You just fire up the app and click one button, and it works on all your devices, your phones, your laptops, even your routers. So everyone who shares your Wi-Fi can be protected. It is really important to have ExpressVPN, whether it's uh, just protecting your online activity, protecting yourself from hackers, uh, making sure that your private information stays private. There's no better way to do that than with ExpressVPN, and there's no easier way to do it than with ExpressVPN. It's really just tap one button and you are protected. Secure your online activity by visiting expressvpn.com slash martini today. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash martini. And you can get an extra three months of coverage free. Expressvpn.com slash martini. 
All right, Jim, let's move to our final martini now. And this one is definitely crazy. And the left has just been licking its chops, looking for any Supreme Court ruling to add justification to its pack the court plan. We got this Biden commission that's supposedly working behind the scenes, but just about everybody in the Democratic Party, at least in Washington, doesn't think that the Supreme Court is legitimate right now. That's just the fact. Uh, It is legitimate. Uh, How it's been constructed over the past several years is perfectly fine. Uh, The Senate has uh, its role. The president has its role. And uh, whether it's the Gorsuch nomination after uh, Scalia or whether it's Kavanaugh or whether it's uh, Amy Coney Barrett getting confirmed right before the election, All of that is within the constitutional prerogatives of the president and the U.S. Senate. But the left can't handle it. And this uh, decision to let the Texas abortion law stand while it still gets adjudicated uh, has just sent the left spinning off its axis. And so in addition to the court packing argument coming back, there is now the argument that we've got to take down. This is the left being we take down Brett Kavanaugh. We know that Christine Blasey Ford was telling the truth, and Brett Kavanaugh had dead at one point. Who did pay that off? And how did Kennedy decide to resign when he did? Yeah, I know he's in his 80s, but there had to be something sinister. Had to be. But now, so this guy on the line, Greg O'Lear, I guess, O'Lear, maybe is how you say that, uh, basically says there is a clear playbook to removing Kavanaugh from the bench. And this is what must be done, not because we don't like his politics, although we don't, not because we think he's a bleephole, although he is, not because he had a hissy fit at his confirmation hearing, although he did. No, we must remove him because at least twice in his life, some unknown entity endowed him with major infusions of cash. And Kavanaugh lied under oath about the providence of that cash. He said it came from his thrift savings plan and about several other things besides. He's compromised six ways from Sunday, and we simply can't have that on the Supreme Court, no matter which way he votes. So two different background checks on Brett Kavanaugh during that process. We, uh, of course, uh, see that the left loves the FBI uh, when it's investigating things like uh, Trump during the 2016 uh, campaign. But in this case, it didn't go the way they wanted. So, of course, the FBI had to be compromised. You've also got people trying to uh, confront Kavanaugh at the court. Some people are trying to go to his house and just make his life miserable until he either resigns or rules the way they want him to. So uh, anybody who thinks that uh, decent-sized swaths of the left are not unhinged would be wrong, and this is uh, pretty clear proof of it. Yeah, I think the other intriguing aspect of this, Greg, is that it, it apparently was trending on Twitter. Uh, so the online left, this you know, if you say to them, hey, let's put up all of our efforts into investigating and trying to get uh, Brett Kavanaugh off the court, apparently there's, there's a huge appetite for this. And they're like, yeah. Now, obviously, the online left does not care very much about Afghanistan. They, you know, their their care about women's rights is, you know, more filtered than the Brita filter, to use a uh, joke I'd heard from someone. Um, but uh, the the thing that's kind of interesting, you know, they're, they're fighting about the infrastructure bill up on Capitol Hill. They all kind of know deep in their guts that the D.C. statehood isn't happening. Uh, Puerto Rico statehood isn't happening. The Biden commission on the Supreme Court, I guess, it's still researching. There's, there's been no movement on that one. Um, the midterms are not looking good for the Democrats. A lot could happen between now and then. But I think you look at the state of the country, Biden's dropping approval rating. You know, this the, the scenario of the midterms being a really bad one for the Democrats on, on par with 2010 or 2014 certainly feels like it's, you know, a possibility, if not a strong possibility. And, you know, the communications problems of the president are abundant. 
Uh, I, I'm trying to think if there's anything he's been seeing. He certainly isn't addressing the country in, in prime time. I'm wondering what time his bedtime actually is. Hey, Greg, do you remember Vice President Kamala Harris? Yeah, I've heard she's still in office. I haven't seen her, though. I, mean, I think she's on the side of a milk cart. Um, <laughs> have you seen me? You know that. So you know, all of a sudden, Democrats are recognizing that there was a very brief window of opportunity for this uh, for them to get the, the big progressive things done. And it's shrinking. And what's kind of intriguing about this is that there are folks who are like, you know, that you're they're fuming that they can't get their justices to retire at the right time and want, you know, fearful that uh, Biden won't get to appoint someone if the Republicans take back the Senate or something like that. But like, again, of all the things Democrats could do to reinvestigate and attempt to, I guess, impeach, uh, you know, Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, just, you know, first of all, it's, it, the odds of success are extraordinarily unlikely. And the second, the other thing is just a sense of, Wait, you're you're refighting an old battle. You're not really moving the ball in a new direction. You're not really changing anything. You're terrified of these Texas voting bills. You know, this idea that actually requiring voter ID might mean that Democrats never win again. Like uh, redistricting is going on. Really big things are happening right now. And there's a big chunk of the online left that wants to relitigate a fight that's effectively from 2018. No, oh, by the way, remember Kavanaugh was supposed to be this terrible, terrible effect for uh, Democrat for Republicans, and then the Republicans actually did did pretty good in the Repub- in the Senate races. Yeah, at least in that midterm. Like, you know, the the online left is as is as out of touch as they've ever been, and I think it's a real danger for the Democrats if they get lured down this path of yeah, let's do this instead of keeping their eye on the ball and what changes can we make that will maximize our opportunities for success in the future? They're not thinking of that at all. They want to refight old battles. And so it's crazy, but I guess this one sort of has a, a good aftertaste to this because obviously look, Brett Kavanaugh is not going anywhere. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. But here's the thing. One of the nice things we learned in the 2020 election cycle, and there weren't many, is that the Twitter left didn't get what they wanted in the Democratic primary. They were all in for Bernie and some of these other Beto and a lot of these other fringe candidates. And uh, Biden, who was considered at that point to be kind of the the boring old standby, uh, did just fine, even though uh, the the crazies on Twitter and beyond didn't like him. But when you look at what the crazies want to get done, and what Democrats on Capitol Hill want to get done, there doesn't seem to be, for the most part, much daylight. I mean, that's why we're so thankful for Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, because the vast majority of Democrats in Congress think these people are right. Or they, they fear crossing them, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, it could <laughs> be. Know, they, functionally, I guess that's about the same, isn't it? Ooh, I'd love to end on a happier note than that, but that's where we are today. Jim, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus, Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Also tell your friends about us. Uh, We're very grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday. And please join us on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There's so much going on in the news, but don't worry because we're here to talk about it all. Kids are finally going back to in-person schooling. Hurricane Ida leaves widespread damage in Louisiana right after the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, and people are still struggling to get out of Afghanistan with our government nowhere in sight. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.